If you uh, go to any place that they're having a protest or if you look online, you're going to see a sign somewhere. You've probably already seen it. And the sign simply says, it's my body, it's my choice. What that person is trying to tell you is, hands off. I get to do with my body what I want. Um, They will argue for personal volition. They will argue for uh, their own choice. They will argue that laws nor you uh, should have anything to do with the decisions that they make. They will say such things like what happens in my house is up to me and those who live there. Interestingly enough, that got flipped when the vaccine thing went crazy. And then the anti-vaxxers pulled up the same signs. It's my body. It's my choice. And it, it got a little squirrely. What what we began to realize is there's a fundamental issue that we're struggling with in our culture, and it's not the first time Paul is addressing it. And it's an issue that manifests itself in a lot of ways, and it has to do with not so much the volition of my body, that at its core is a critical issue, but there's an issue that this whole subject bears, and that is, is there a fundamental compartmentalization or separation between the body and the spirit? And the reason why I say that is because Paul was writing to a group of people. Let me describe Corinth for you. It was a city, a metropolis, major city. And on the ridge of the city was where a series of homes existed where prostitutes lived. And they would come down into the city at night. They would do their thing and and then they would go back up to their home. And what was happening was it was not uncommon. In fact, it would be uncommon for a man to not have a mistress. It would be that far. And so when the Christian men, when the men got saved, when families got saved, there were a fair number of them, that's why Paul's writing, that were continuing in that life cycle. And a few wives brought up and probably a few guys brought up said, hey, wait a minute. Can we continue in this lifestyle of engaging in sex with prostitutes? And their rationale was because, after all, the spirit and the body are separate. Now, where does this manifest today? It manifests in the idea that gender is determined in the head. There's a separation between our sexuality and our body, our sexuality and our spirit, and they are not the same. There is an argument that when a child is born, the doctor, how dare that doctor tell those parents that's a female or a male? What's the basis of that? It's the same thing that Paul's dealing with. If indeed we live compartmental lives that our spirit is separate from our body, that they are not intertwined, that they are manageably separate and compartmentalized, then I can, whatever I do in one really ultimately doesn't affect the other. That was their whole argument. And Paul wanted to address them and say, wait a minute, your whole line of reasoning is false. Now, the reality is most of us in this room are not asking the question, Pastor, can I go sleep with a prostitute? Is that okay? Male or female? We're not asking that. But I'll guarantee you, we are wrestling in our culture is, can I support a person that's transgendering, them believing that gender is in the head and sex is who I sleep with? 
And those compartments are separate from my soul and spirit. It does affect us when a couple walks into my office and they say, Hey, Pastor, we want to get married and we want to meet with you. And I said, Wonderful, that's great. Um, and we get to that section. It's about the third or fourth section. And we start talking about premarital sexual activity. And I ask them, Have you ever been married before? Oh, no. Have you ever had sexual intercourse with another person? Well, yes. Well, then the answer is you have been married. Biblically speaking, let's talk about that. Now, why would they tell me, no, never been married? I know why. It's because they never came forward and sat there and shared the vows. But if you read this text, what does Paul say? When you are with this other woman, and it's the same for a woman who's with another man. Do you not know that you have become one with her? Not just in body, but in spirit. And now all of a sudden we wrestle in our culture and today with the same issue. It looks differently, but it manifests itself in transgenderism. It manifests itself in cutting. It manifests itself in anorexia. It manifests itself in casual sex. It's the same fundamental issue, and it's this. What does it mean to live as an embodied gender human being? What are the implications for me as a follower of Christ that what I do in my body touches my spirit and what I do in my spirit touches Christ? Why could they come to that place where they would argue to Paul? Paul, man, who I sleep with on a Friday, it doesn't matter. I can come to church on Sunday, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's like, it's just sex. It's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can love Jesus and sleep with this person. I'm just, you know, food for the stomach, stomach for the food, sex for the body. It's okay. It's just a natural act, right? That's what Paul's arguing. Or that's what they're arguing to Paul. And their fundamental basis for that is, is that we're free to determine our own sexuality. We're free to determine the boundaries, who we want to sleep with, where we want to sleep, who we want to define. We're free to define ourselves even sexual, sexually. Why? Number one is because they felt the sexual freedom was unlimited because of grace. What's the argument? The argument is this. Paul, we're not under the law anymore. All the things about the law, gone. We're done. Grace, it's a new day. And the reality is we would want to support that. It is a new day. We are under grace. Absolutely. Notice, Paul doesn't really argue with their statement. Let's pick it up in chapter 6, verse 12. And you'll notice the parentheses. Everything is permissible for me. Where's that coming from? That's not from Paul. That's from them. That's their argument. Everything is permissible. Paul doesn't disagree with him. He doesn't. He doesn't take that on. Why? Because you can't. Not in the law of grace. Not in the rule of grace. Everything, if you will, in that line is permissible. But Paul wants to come to them and says, yeah, it's true. But I do have two questions that you need to ask. The first one is, it's true. Everything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. Not everything is beneficial. And he's going to put some parameters on that. Everything is, is 
permissible in a minute too, so don't get too nervous. But, but he says that the reality is, yes, under grace, we have a new freedom. Oh, yes. But that freedom should give you a couple of questions. And the first question should be, is what am I, what I'm doing? Is it profitable? Is it beneficial? See, I seldom think that when a guy's looking at porn, that he's looking at that porn thinking, man, I wonder if this girl's dad is really happy. I wonder if he thinks, boy, if I were sitting next to this girl's dad, I wonder if that dad would go, wow, that's my daughter. I'm so proud of her. You think he would do that? Do you think of a gal is having an affair that she thinks about the other, you know, woman's children? Wow. I wonder if, you know, if I sat down with her that she'd be really pleased at what I'm doing. Is it permissible? Yeah. Everything under grace. It's a, you're right. I'm not under law. But do I ask the question, is this beneficial? Is what I'm doing helping that other person and even me? There's another question Paul says that I want you to wrestle with that you're not. And that is... Um, is what I'm doing mastering me? Does it have the capacity to master me? Does it have the ability to grip me like an addiction where I am now outside of human volition and I am more under the control of uh, an appetite and gratification module that just seems to own me? I've known a lot of alcoholics in my life. And very few of them, for the vast majority of their life, are very honest. It's the nature of addiction. It doesn't matter what the addiction is. We're often very, very willing to lie to ourselves about the mastery of whatever it is over us. It's true that you have a lot of freedom in Christ. The danger is some people use grace as a means to push off law. And what happens is that grace leads them to a new enslavement. We're free to determine our own sexuality. That was their argument. Why? Because we can walk in unlimited grace. Secondly, they told Paul that that's true, that we can walk in unlimited grace. And also they felt sexual freedom was unlimited because it was merely natural and had no connection to the soul. Where does that argument come from? It says, food for the stomach, verse 13, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Notice again, that's in parentheses. That's what they're saying. Paul, <laughs> come on. Foods for the stomach, stomachs for the food. It's a natural thing. Nobody stands in front of the refrigerator and says, wow, you're condemned. You're having baloney. You should be condemned if you eat spam. But other than that, <laughs> you should repent if you eat spam. But the fact is, is they're saying it's a natural thing. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. It's just, it's natural. That's like sex for the body. It's a natural thing. Paul, what are you getting all worked up for? This is a natural thing. Don't you see? Paul says the equation doesn't work. Why? God's going to ultimately destroy the food and stomach. 
But notice what he says. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but rather the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Friends, you're missing something. You're staying in the natural realm and you're suggesting that food for the body is an equivalent to sex for the body. And Paul says you're missing something. What is it? Here, the circle is all temporal. Yes. Food for the body, body for the soul. Or for the, for the, food for the body and body for food. But over here, the body for sex, sex for the body... Paul says, I didn't create the body to simply be gratified. I created the body for eternal purposes. So the reality is sex is not merely a natural act. It is a supernatural act. And unless you understand that, you'll miss the whole issue of why it is wrong For a woman to sleep with a man that's not her husband. It's wrong for you to think about sex as just a casual act. It's wrong for you to cut your body to relieve the emotional pain of life. It's wrong for you to believe that you can self-determine your own sexuality. Why? Paul has a series of three things that he wants them to understand. Your physical body is spiritually connected to Christ. It's not compartmentalized. It's not separate. It's intertwined for three reasons. Number one, he says in verse 15, your body is a member of Christ. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So then shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? And the answer is never. Never. See, the problem with casual sex is that you think of sex as merely an act. Not as an expression of worship. Not as an expression of your relationship with Christ. In that act... When you're looking at porn, when you're cutting yourself, when you're doing any of those things that are destructive, that are misusing the body, when you're, you're practicing your anorexia, when you're a bulimic and you're going through all of those processes, the tendency is to isolate yourself and to think, I'm in emotional pain, I am struggling. But what Paul suggests is what you've, in the first step you've forgotten is your life, your body is an extension of Christ. In the springtime around here, you're going to see it every year. We, cl- we trim up trees. We clean them up. Got to do it. Do, a lot of states do it, but we have to around here. And you're going to go around and they're going to have all of these tree trimmers and they're going to be cutting limbs. And somewhere on the ground is going to be this just tree eating monster. 
and you can put limbs through there. Sometimes those things, those, those will eat up, you know, six inch limbs. And they're going to have all kinds of warnings on this monster that eats trees. And it's going to say, be careful, you know, harmful if you put your head in there and all kinds of great stuff. Not one time, and I've rented a bunch of those and I've seen dozens. Not one of them have said, your hand is connected to your body. Don't misuse it. They will tell you, yep, keep your hands out of there. They will tell you these things are dangerous, but none of them. Why do they not warn you that your hand is connected to your body? Because they presume that you know that. And you do know that. Why? Because if you've cut yourself. A couple weeks ago, Carrie sent off her knives to get all sharpened and nice and beautiful. And I know firsthand they are sharp. I cut my finger and it was like, wow, that was clean and beautiful and deep. And in a second, my finger informed my brain, your owner really made a mistake. I don't have to tell myself. It intrinsically knows that this hand is a member of this body. Paul says, do you not know? Like, I've said this before. I've told you this before. Uh, We're going down a path that we've done before. My friends, you don't live a compartmental life. Your body is intrinsically connected to Christ. You're connected to the member of of Christ's body. Implication. What you do in your body, Christ does. What you do in your body touches Christ. There's no separation. There's no body and spirit. There's body and spirit. And you're a member of Christ's body. And it goes deeper. And our bodies are one spirit with the Lord. Verse 16, by his power, God raised the Lord. Verse 15 goes into 16. Excuse me. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. What's, where's Paul getting this stuff? Well, he's gone back to Genesis. He's going back to the book of Genesis, where in the book of Genesis it says, and then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And in the image of God, he created the male and female. There were only two. Uh, there will forever be only two. And then in chapter two, he says, the two shall become one. I understand Genesis chapter one and two is a mathematical nuthouse. But the reality is those two become one in what sense? They become one spiritually. They become one in purpose. They become one in union. They become one in love and intimacy. And where do we get that picture? We get it from the very God who created us. Let us make mankind in our image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. What are the implications of that? They're significant. Paul lays them out for us. Do you not know that when you unite yourself 
gentlemen in Corinth, when you unite yourself, you're not just having a sexually gratifying evening. You're not just relieving some tension. You're unionizing yourself with this person. You're coming and bringing yourself into union with them. And by the way, into the verse, you're bringing Christ with you. The implication is really fairly significant. When you engage in immorality, you're actually implicating the Lord Jesus in the very same act. When you cut yourself and you bring that pain into your body, you're bringing it into the body of Christ because you share in the spirit of Christ. He is in you. And as you wound your body and the spirit is in you, you can try and separate that out. You can live in this categorically separate world. But Paul is saying, no, 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 that's a wrong view. You got to bring those views together. You're one with Christ. He's in you. It's not infrequent when a couple comes for premarital counseling or frankly just marital counseling. We'll deal with this issue and it's not an easy issue. It's not meant to be shameful. My, my every intention is never to shame them and condemn them. It's to free them. But sometimes you have to talk about the prison if you want to get out of it. And the prison is oftentimes when you come in, you'll ask them, it's like, have you ever been married before? No, no, we've never been married. It's the first time for both of us. Have you ever had a sexual partner before? It gets real quiet. It's not an easy subject. I wouldn't go there if I didn't have the deepest conviction that I want their marriage to last forever. And nowadays about 90% of them will tell me, yes, we have. Do you realize that you have unioned your heart with them and your spirit with them? What are the implications of that? Same thing happened with Jesus when he was a woman at the well and she came to him and she said, I'm not married. And he goes, oh, no, you have a husband. In fact, you've, you've had five of them. And she's like, wow, what? Does that mean she stood in front of somebody and shared vows five times? No. I think it's that she was sexually engaged with five different men and, and she's with one now who's not her husband, if you will. And, and what Jesus is trying to get her is the step towards freedom. It's not by lying about your past. It's by being honest about what happened. Paul says, dear friends, you can't separate yourself. The fact is, that your physical body is spiritually connected to Christ. Your body is a member of Christ and you are one with Christ in spirit. And third, he says, our bodies are the very dwelling place of God. It's where God takes up residence. Do you not know, verse 19, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. 
It's just pure lunacy and dangerous for you in your heart to ever carry a sign that says in your heart, it's my body, it's my choice. No, it's not. You're a member of Christ's body. Christ's spirit lives in you. You are a temple of God and God's temple dwells. John MacArthur once said, can you ever imagine coming into the sanctuary of the church and having an orgy and thinking that it would be honorable to God? That's Paul's point. See, you're, you're, you're separating yourself out and you're thinking that whatever you do in the body is separate because grace covers it and grace is powerful and it does But there's been an assault in the soul. And Paul even goes on to say, he says, flee from the sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside, but not sexual sins. So what do we do? His exhortation is this. I want you to use your body in a way that honors the one who owns it. Can grace overcome this maybe horrible choice you've made? Absolutely. Is there an unpardonable sin that you've committed? No. Is there nothing but condemnation for those of you who have five or six or seven husbands? No. But you'll never get out of prison by lying about it. You have to own the fact that maybe you have been one of those individuals that have separated and said, you know, it's my body, it's my choice. And what I did in a body separated from the spirit and God wants to bring them together. And it says, no, what you did in the body touches the spirit and not only touches the spirit, but touches Christ who is in you. You walked Jesus into that bedroom. You walked Jesus into that film. You walked Jesus into that razor blade when you cut yourself. You can't separate them out. So the choice, Paul says, I want you to use your body in a way that honors the one who owns it. What does that look like? Two things. Number one, he says, I want you to flee sexual immorality. Not, you know, avoid it, flee, run. You cannot get far enough away from it. Whatever you need to do, you get out of it. If you have a boyfriend that won't understand no, you break it up. And you go home and you break it up today. If you got a girlfriend who just doesn't understand uh, no and doesn't understand sexual boundaries, you break it up. You, You stop. Because it's causing damage to your soul. And you're bringing Christ into that. And you're doing damage to your heart that, will, that can sometimes have a, a lasting, lasting implication. Grace can forgive you. Grace can cover. But Paul says you're bringing fire into your bones. And it can damage you. You flee from it. Why? Because all other sins a man commits are outside his body. What does Paul mean by that? Because anorexia, that's in the body. Gluttony, that's certainly in the body. Let me take a stab at this. 
There's an interconnection in your sexual identity. It's something determined by God. Your masculinity, your femininity, you being a man, you being a woman. And when God determined those things and that expression, and it is a part of your soul, it's not something that you can manufacture. It's not something you can manipulate. It's something that is set by God. And when you violate it, you're violating something that God gave you as a gift and as a reflection of him. And when you violate something that is a reflection of God, go read sometimes Romans 1 and you'll see the same thing. When they did not want to reflect the glory and the image of God, they exchanged the image of God for another image. What is sexual immorality? It's idolatry. It's saying, God, I don't like the image that you've created. I want to accept another image. So it is a dethroning of God for the glorification and the gratification of my soul. Is it a sin outside of forgiveness? No, but you can't miss what Paul says. It is a sin like none other. It does damage like none other. So therefore flee it. Run from it. Fall on the the cross of Christ. Plead with him for forgiveness. And my friend, he will forgive you. And he will restore you. Just like Jesus to that beautiful woman. Who yes, he didn't say to the woman, you've had five husbands and you're damned for life. It's not what he said. So don't fall into that trap. But you run from it and you flee it. Because it can bring fire into your very soul. Secondly, Paul says, I want you to embrace God's ownership of your own body. You're not your own. Last line of verse 19, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You should never have a sign, ever, that says, it's my body, it's my choice. No, it's, it's not. It's not your body, it's God's. And maybe what it looks like is that you today would embrace God's ownership of your body. What would that look like? Maybe it looks like you surrender to God's sovereign direction and leadership of your life. God owns you. He's the one directing you. I find within the Christian community, almost as much as outside the Christian community, a ton of self-hatred. And I wonder if you were to accept God's sovereign purposes and accept God's ownership over your life if you would be able to come to the place where you could accept about yourself and feel about yourself how the father feels I'm I'm amazed I don't understand it so please don't hear a a judgment in that but I'm, I'm amazed at how many people just hate to have their picture taken And I wonder sometimes if you could ever just get a glimpse of how the father feels about you. 
Because I'm pretty convinced when the father sees a picture of you, he doesn't go, ooh. <laughs> maybe like a lot of you do. And maybe for you to accept God's ownership is for you to, you don't have to idolize yourself. You don't have to fall in love with yourself. But maybe it would just be that you would delight in who you are, believing that God sovereignly and wonderfully put you together, believing that we really need you. And we actually like you. And I know you got a thousand emotional responses. You've never met my dad. You've never met, you've not, no, 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 I, you're right. I haven't met any of them and I really probably don't even want to. I've met you. And maybe today you could accept that God owns you. He designed you. He loves you. Absolutely. Some of you need to go home and break up with somebody. Some of you need to make a commitment like a a brother did last night. I need to be done going to strip clubs. Yeah, you're done. Jesus is getting tired of going to strip clubs with you because those girls are his daughters and he's tired of watching his daughters shame themselves. And Jesus has to go to every strip club with you because you claim to be a believer. It's time for you to be done. Yeah. Some of you have hated yourself and you've actually thought about transgendering. You need to stop. Because who God made you is, it was set and determined by God. The doctor knew it day one and we know it today. And it's time maybe you embrace that. God owns you, not you. The power of self-determination has not been given to you. That's God's choice. But I think you deserve some honesty on this one too. There's some of us, you know, all of my um, pastoral life, um, this passage has checked me a little bit, candidly. You're not your own. Honor God with your body. I love what I do. Absolutely love being a pastor. Um, But I've not always done it well in the area of my weight. A number of years ago when I was a pastor and I resigned, I uh, stepped down at my own choice. I just kind of was tired. It's like, I think I'm done. I think uh, I'm tired of people, you know, and I think I just need to quit. So I did. I took another job, shepherding pastors of all things. Um, but I, um, unbeknownst to me, I, I just, I shed and just completely, just it fell off of me like, you know, snow off of uh, Frosty the Snowman when the heat turned up. And I just lost like 60, 70 pounds. It was just gone. I did the same thing. I mean, you know, lived the same way. And uh, Carrie thought I had cancer and I was going to die. And so she got pretty emotional. I said, go to the doctor and find out you're going to die. And I said, well, it's going to be a fun trip. 
So I went in, and the doctor said, what's wrong? And I said, well, I think I'm going to die. What makes you think that? I said, well, I've lost 60, 70 pounds. I have no idea why. And uh, he said, have you changed your life at all? I said, not really. Honestly, I haven't. I can't figure this whole thing out. And so uh, let me shorten my hour and a half conversation. He goes, uh, your life prior is just killing you. You're under a lot of stress. And you didn't handle it very well. And it's like, oh, that's all you're going to tell me? He goes, yeah, don't ever be a pastor again. It'll kill you. (laughs) I didn't like that doctor. (laughs) But in all honesty, I've had to face, and it's a hard one. And those of you who struggle with this and weight and issues, you don't have to stand here with me. I'll just take it for us. There are days that I just don't handle the stress of this job well that I love. And I seek Relief more from food than from Christ. It's not that I don't love you. It's just some days you're hard. Especially on Mondays. And Tuesdays. And Wednesdays. (laughs) And that day too. (laughs) I will tell you Very honestly, here's one of my goals. Dear Jesus, you really deserve better from me. Please let me live in a way that honors you in my body. I belong to you. And I don't want to die and go to heaven and say, God, I never never got this one area. I don't know what your area is. It might be the sweet spot of this text, sexuality. It might be your cutting. It might be you're struggling with anorexia. It might be you're struggling with idolization of your body. It might be that you use food as a medicinal purpose like I do. But Jesus, if I really honor you, that the temple that you reside in needs refurbishment. How about yours?